Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. And I'd like to acknowledge the Wajuk Noongar people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. Yay! You're still in Perth! I am! Yes! <laughs> One week down. I know. This, was this your holiday week? So next week you go back to remote work? Yeah. So I'll be working next week and the week after, and then I'm off again for a week when I'm in Sydney with you guys. Yay! Oh, I am so excited. I'm like counting down the days and planning menus and just generally getting excited. I'm excited too. I'm excited to have massive fangirl conversations with you in person instead of just like yes. messaging you at all hours of the day and night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. Although I have not minded the messaging because the books that you're reading right now, I've, I read a couple years ago. So I'm like, what happened? And I have to Google it. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that totally is a legitimate feeling. <laughs> like, mm, yeah, because I'm like, feel me right now. Oh, gosh. Mm. So um, tell me about your moment of wonder this week. Okay, so my moment of wonder is book related. And it is because this week, as you know, because I've been losing my mind <laughs> about it to you, um, I read Mr. Impossible by Maggie Stevada, which is the second novel in the Dreamer trilogy. Holy cow, that book, though. <sighs> <laughs> and I'm so desperate to know what happens. I'm mm. like so bereft. I was bereft when I finished it. And it's made worse because I feel like it's self inflicted because I have this rule that I won't read series that aren't finished and I keep breaking this rule and it's precisely because of this feeling where I'm like oh gosh now I have to wait what two years before I know what happens and I hate it and even just talking about it now just sends these like white hot feelings of wanting like coursing through my veins and that Mm. is actually why it's my moment of wonder because I love that books can make me feel like this you know it's like Sean says in the Scorpio races I'm so so alive and that's how I feel when I read a good book and um I'm beside myself, basically, and I just want to know what happens. I can't wait that long. It just drives me insane. To cope with that, I read the (laughs) Six of Crows duology, which is like a whole other lot of feelings that have been unlocked because, you know, I would die for the crows and I love them all so much. I knew you would. I knew you would. Like, I was like, when I read the the Six of Crows books, I was like, yeah, like, this is good and I love a heist book. But when we were talking about watching the show, I was like, ding, Jen has to read these books. Like, that was my immediate first thought was that you would love, especially that you would love Kaz and Inish so much. And I do, I do. I love them all. But yeah, Kaz is like my one true love and then you know it was like that reading the book and I'd have to put it down because I loved it so much that I couldn't cope with it so I'm like oh gosh and I have to put it down I have to put it down and do something else and I just felt like I was gonna combust basically um yeah so a lot of reading related feelings and then I watched the show across like two nights and I'm like I can't believe I read over 2,000 pages for this less than seven hours of television content but I don't think I would have enjoyed the show as much if I hadn't read the books so yeah, one of the things I really love about watching a show after you've read the book is that you can kind of see the differences. And I think that's a really nice, like, I think that's fun. And in this particular series, they did meld the two together mm. and kind of work so that we got the crows in the first season, which, like, I am all for. 
So that was my moment of wonder. All books. Books are magic. I love them so much. I love that um, you've gotten to read so much this week. It's so fun. And I love that I you send me texts at like all hours of the day and night. Like, oh my gosh, this just happened. And oh, precious baby <laughs> Jesper. Because we all love Jesper. You just fulfill such an important role for me where I can just voice my anxiety to you. I can be like, do Jesper and Waylon get together? And you mm. can be like, yes. Or like, is Adam and Ronan okay? Like, are they okay? Yeah. Because I cannot cope with my life if they're not okay. And you can be like, yes. Yes, they are. I'm a walking human spoiler, but like in a good way. Yeah, like without ruining it, you just kind of ease my anxiety just so I know. <gasps> I'm the seatbelt of people. Yes. You will be safe. What was your moment of wonder? Um, So I would like to say that I had a week full of wonder, but actually I just was like on a deadline and scrambling around to get things done and watched a lot of Bake Off because I always watch Ooh. something when I'm on a quilting deadline. But I did have a real moment yesterday where I was waiting for my husband who has, yesterday his eye was like super red and it hurt and like he was photosensitive and it was just the one eye. And so we went to the doctor and I was waiting and waiting and I'm like, oh, I should get a flu shot because I always think I should and never do. Like I've gotten Mm -hmm. it once in my adult life and I feel like a really terrible human being because you should get vaccinated. Everybody should get vaccinated. Like, they're available. They're $20 here. It's There's no excuse. <laughs> so I was sitting there, and I'm like, I'm literally in the doctor's office. I will get my flu shot booked today. And she was like, oh, actually, we have time right now. Come back. And I'm like, oh, could I do my pertussis one as well? Because <laughs> I got my tetanus shot, which is also the pertussis shot, when my daughter was born, and she turns 10 this year. So I'm like, ding, daughter is 10. Time for me to get that booster. Mm-hmm. So I got both my shots yesterday while I was waiting for my husband to get his eye looked at. And I just want to say that my moment of wonder is that it was like effortless for me to do that. Modern medicine means I am now somewhat more protected against the flu. And that if I scrape myself pulling staples from a side of the road chair pickup, like I would, <laughs> trying to reupholster it and rescue it, I probably won't get blood poisoning and die. And I'm just really glad about that. Like, I just really love that I could get boosters and that they're available at my doctor and that it took like 12 minutes from go to woe and also my arms really really hurt today so i was gonna say did they do them in separate arms yeah (laughs) Hmm. so i have like the flu arm and the the tetanus arm and the tetanus one sucks man it's just rough but the miracles of modern science hey yeah i'm just really glad that like we don't have to rely on you know some guy saying paternosters while stirring some foul smelling concoction over a bubbling cauldron anymore Good point. Yes. <laughs> we have we have science. Like Thion, we have science. And Thion! Thion, yeah, yes. My fave. <laughs> he's growing on me. I think he's very suspicious of anyone who's very nice to him, and I definitely relate to that. So oh, Bless him. Well, on that topic, um, this week we read chapters 56 to 62 through the theme of mercy, which I actually found very challenging. Same. Did you have a story for us about mercy? I do. Um, I have to preface it by saying that this story is all what I remember of it. And I was quite young when these events were taking place. So uh, people in my family, if they hear this, they might disagree. And that's fine. But this is how I remember it. So Mm -hmm. I'm telling it how I remember it rather than like calling people and trying to corroborate it. Um, When I was little, my maternal grandmother got sick. Um, So she went from being like, a really self-assured person, very capable, formidable and ferocious in her love to a trembling, confused, embarrassed invalid, basically. Mm. She lost physical and cognitive ability, and it was just a really hard time. Um, At this point, my mom, who was like a change-of-life baby, that's what she always said, um, she was born when her mom was 40, 
Mm-hmm. Um, she was younger than the rest of her siblings by a lot. She lived near her parents. So, like, that kind of fell to her. And she wanted to look after her mom. She wanted to care for her. But she had me. I was in early primary school. So, like, year one or year two. Um, she had my younger sister. Another, so she had a toddler, an infant, and she was pregnant. And mm. the year before all of this started, roughly, my dad had started working in another state and was only able to come home on weekends. Wow. So basically, she's like most of the way to a single mom and pregnant and like trying to just keep everything going. And then her mom gets sick and she's like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take care of her. Like, this is why I'm here. It's just a hard situation, right? So I don't remember the exact circumstances, but I know that it happened like this particular event happened when my mom wasn't there to like, quote unquote, stop it from happening. Uh, My aunt and her husband came over from the next state on a weekend and they organized for my grandmother to be placed in a nursing home. Um, And I think my mom was really betrayed by that. She felt Mm. really like the rug had been pulled out from under her feet and she didn't get the opportunity to prove her care and love. And she was really bitter and really angry about it. And, you know, because she was my mom, I took her side on it. I thought like, what a rotten thing to do to like sneak around behind my mom's back and put my grandmother into a nursing home. Mm. But like now that I'm an adult and I have kids of my own, um, I kind of see this like supposed underhandness as an act of mercy. Um, maybe it was a mercy for my mom that she didn't have to stretch herself even further. She was already stretched so thin. Um, maybe it was mercy for the, the kids, for us, for me and my sisters. I mean, it never really got better for my parents. Money was always a struggle. And like, even though we did have good years, there were always more lean years than good years. And that's been true through to now. So I think even though it was really hurtful, it's it was an act of mercy that saved my mom from an untenable workload. And it's not that she didn't want to do it or she wasn't capable of doing it, but like mm. she was already struggling under the enormous weight of all the other things she had to do and all of the other people she had to care for. Mm. And so I think that like mercy, even though it really sucked and it hurt my mom, maybe it was a good thing that someone else made that decision for her and just took that choice away because it gave her back something that she didn't know she couldn't give. Mm. So I don't know. I, I think there's a lot about mercy being a perspective. I know that it's meant to be like clemency and compassion, but also what if it's just someone taking away the choice that is impossible for you to make? I think that's a really valid point. I think sometimes what people perceive as mercy, like you might act in a way of, that you see merciful, but someone else might not see it because they don't mm. know that they need it, you know? Yeah, condescension or don't pity me or I don't want your charity. <laughs> yeah, but it's still the necessary and the right thing that needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I do think that it was hard on my mother to both be in this situation that she was in and not feel like she was able to contribute in a meaningful way. Mm. But yeah. But you can only do what you can do at the time, right? You only have, it's like you said last week. Is it last week? Don't pour for an empty cup. Exactly. One cannot serve from an empty vessel. Yeah. And I feel like that's quite a good example of it wanting to do something because it's the right thing to do but at the end of the day you need to make sure that there's enough in your vessel to do it absolutely and it doesn't prove anything or make you a better human to have run yourself empty over and over again no exactly yeah i think we all could benefit from remembering that yes um okay well i will summarize our chapters for us so this week um we had up in the citadel ruby and sparrow have a conversation about love and wanting They mend a few fences, and in Weep, Laszlo and Sarai build dreams together and continue falling in love. 
Thion interrupts to wake Laszlo up and accuses him of something, but instead begins to open Laszlo's mind to the possibility that he isn't entirely human, as is Azoth reacts to Ms. Arthur when no one else's does. Exhausted, Thion returns to his lab. Laszlo heads for the anchor, only to get there moments after Drave, and the anchor begins to sink and threaten the city. Oh my gosh. I mean, you were right about it being challenging to find examples of mercy, even though we literally had a textual, you know, mercy was in the chapter, which is always fun to find, where after the explosion at the North Anchor, Laszlo observes that it was a mercy that nobody lived there because the devastation around the North Anchor was so complete. Like, it was Mm. just huge. But someone did die. Someone was hurt. Yeah, Drave. And then, you know, there's a, a reference in the text being like, no one would mourn for him, which I found so profoundly sad. Yeah. Like, yes, he was not a nice person and no one really enjoyed his company, but he was still someone, you know, and he's far away from home. And it's just quite sad to be like, oh, well, no one will mourn for him. It felt like the antithesis of what Laszlo was saying in our last section about if you knew me well enough, you'd know that I wouldn't want anybody to be killed. Yeah. He's not upset about Drave's death, but he does he does mention that no one would mourn him, which I thought was very cold, or it's observed mm. that no one would mourn him. I thought Drave was also not mercy, but our other, our other overall theme of knowledge. I thought mm. Drave was quite a good a catch point for that, because in a way, Sarai acknowledges the fact that she has been avoiding Drave, and that's probably been a mistake, because it's a gap in her yeah. knowledge. I picked that up too. Like she, And it reminded me of what Minya said about a moment of disgust will save mm. us all. Because that's true. If she had gotten past the awfulness of Drave's rancid hygiene and his disgusting mind, as, it, as she says, then she might have had some clue about what he wanted and what he was trying to do and like what would have led to these circumstances Mm. but like how can you know that until it's happened yeah and also drave he acts out of his own knowledge like it says you know he treats the misartham like a mountain because that's what he knows so he just puts all this charge into this block thinking that it will Mm. react the same way all his normal react like explosions do and of course it doesn't and it just causes absolute chaos which again is just like this perception of knowledge you think you know everything and it's really interesting that only thion has really got to that no- through knowledge is he's the only one of the like for Angie who's really gotten to the understanding that this is not going to work in the same way so it can't be approached in the same way and he really doesn't like that because he super likes things being in order <laughs> which I really understand but he approaches everything so methodically right like he has such mm. a he's such a rigor and such a belief in the scientific process and his process so that yeah. he just goes okay this doesn't make sense but we'll just go through the steps anyway because that's what we do and he will unpick the problem because he does it in this methodical way whereas Drave doesn't have the patience, right? He's just like, I'm going to blow it up and take the credit. Yeah. He's like the guy who like tries to trip the other person running the race and ends up Mm. falling off a cliff or something. Like, I I (laughs) just, I wrote that it's his own hubris that kills him. And I really do believe that. Like, he really doesn't stop to think. He just gets frustrated and acts. And it's almost an impulse, but it's more like he's just determined to kind of win. Yeah, absolutely. And he just does it poorly as well. Like you would think with his experience with explosions, he would know how far away he needs to be when it detonates. Mm. And yet he is so close to it and he ends up being crushed by the debris, which I feel like he should have been able to anticipate yeah it just seems very strange yeah and laszlo describes him as coming around the corner looking really panicked and i just why is he looking so panicked he orchestrated this whole thing why is he not more in control of the situation maybe that's part of why he loves to be an explosionist though like it's the risk taking right like yeah the adrenaline 
maybe also he was making shortcuts because he was trying to do it under cover of darkness. That's my theory. Yeah, yeah, good point. On the topic of mercy, I think where I actually saw it the most was this longing for mercy rather Mm. than it being in the text. Mm -hmm. I just think like we have Laszlo wishing that Weep was more merciful of Sarai and her family. And you've got Sarai wishing that Minya knew what mercy was and that no one would seek vengeance, right? The thing about this book that I love is that every time there's a new bit of knowledge revealed, like it's important. So every time Laszlo learns something else, he's able to apply it and he's very Mm. good at that. So that's why, that's kind of why I love that knowledge our main theme but as I was reading this chapter I thought this entire book is really about the need for mercy Mm. because when we talk about mercy it's like clemency for people who don't deserve it like that's sort of the traditionally understood example like oh it's a mercy that this person was pardoned from their death sentence like that's often or like Christianity talks a lot about God's mercy towards sinners Um, Mercy to me is like 100% a Christian word because of that early associations you know yeah Um, But I think that if we're using that framework of mercy being this like clemency for people who deserve a harsher punishment, then both the citizens of Weep and the God Swan need to have mercy for the other party because both were injured so grievously by Mm. the other. Really, the only way they're going to be able to move forward is with agreed upon mercy and then, I don't know, transformative justice. Yeah, because they're also both parties are also in positions to harm the other, right? The God Spawn can harm the humans and the humans can harm the God God Spawn. So they do, it has to be an act of mercy to say, no, we both decide not to and we will, yeah, do this kind of restorative justice process right because that's the only way they're going to get through it without vengeance or retribution yeah it's um both of them agreeing to stop mutually assured destruction basically yeah and i think minya is kind of like the opposite of mercy right she is the example of when you don't have any room for it she has no interest in it yeah and i thought yes sarai when she says to laszlo on page 460 you know please don't doubt what she can and will and wants to do all she is is vengeance terrifying um i want to talk about the opposite of minya which is the person with the most emotional maturity in the entire text and that's laszlo Mm. there were so many beautiful moments where he was like able to realize why he was feeling the way he was feeling oh he's so good at that i just want to be that good at it like his emotional maturity like i made a note i think it's on page 465 thion has woken him up and he's mad at thion and he's really angry and then he says you know he knew it wasn't really thion who had provoked it but his own powerlessness to save sarai and i'm like laszlo that is amazing like it's taken me so much therapy to get to that point you know you you experience it you feel this emotion and then you like wait why am I feeling like this what is actually the trigger because it's never the thing that is causing it there's always some underlying thing and he's just doing it intuitively like what a champ he's amazing look oh hello morning mom hello beautiful day isn't it do you want to say hi to Gen V uh Gen V hi all right (laughs) and shut the door behind you oh cute bye bye (laughs) cute that was fun (laughs) um yeah so I had a similar moment to Laszlo and it was about a need that I had that had not been met properly and like it wasn't anyone's fault that it hadn't been met properly so I was like Laszlo you are good at this so good because he stops himself before he even gets into a proper fight with Thion right like he it's almost immediate he's like I'm experiencing this emotion this is actually the cause and he Mm. just talks himself down at that ledge like that is amazing it's amazing I aspire to that 
I mean, I think Thion would have loved to fight with Laszlo because I still think there's some crushy feelings there, but that's just me. I love Thion and that entire section. I just, I'm obsessed with it. He's such an idiot. Obviously, this is a trick. This is a trap. Yeah. <laughs> and Laszlo's like, just like, you did it. You did the thing. I'm so proud. Wait, why aren't you proud? The fact that Thion thinks that Laszlo orchestrated this entire thing back from ye olde days. I'm like, why would he do that? You are so weird, Thion. But I also love that he's just like, I need answers right now. So he marches to Laszlo's window in the middle of the night. So extra and I'm here for it. Listen, he definitely has a crush on Laszlo. And I would like to point out in the theme of knowledge, Thion only tells Laszlo things. He doesn't tell Mm. anybody else things. Like he only tells Laszlo. And sometimes it's grudging, but he's honest with him in a way that he's not honest with anyone else. Mm. I do like that Laszlo also thought for a moment maybe Thion was tricking him. Like when Mm. he's walking to the anchor and then he's like, oh no, he's Thion is a lot of things but he's not frivolous and I yeah. thought that was quite a nice little observation too because I love that they both went the opposite direction like maybe he's doing this to hurt my feelings but no he's not that kind of person like he's cruel but he's not stupid about it and then Thion was like the deviousness of this Laszlo strange pulling me in in a year long years long scheme like just chill out Thion <laughs> but I think it's also because Thion's probably grown up in that kind of court environment where there is always yeah. a scheme afoot right which is another thing that I really love about him going to Laszlo because he he could have he could have gone back to his you know stuffy lab and schemed away and kind of mm. tried to like make an a comeuppance for Laszlo if he thought he was actually out to get him. That's what Malfoy would have done, right? Like oh, come yeah. up with this whole thing. But Thion's like, no, I must go to the source of the issue. So I think that's quite interesting. Yeah, I just really love their entire interaction. And I too would have been mad if I'd woken up from a really, really, really sexy dream. Fair enough. Perfectly reasonable reaction, Laszlo. <laughs> And also the embarrassment of like, he was watching me dream that dream. Yeah. I know, yeah. so good. Um, I was thinking, you know, what do we perceive as a mercy? Like the choices that said Laszlo on this particular path, would mm. we consider them mercies? But I don't know who would be bestowing that mercy. The universe maybe, you know, because like he was sent to the library that day because of the spoiled fish. I love that that was a mercy for him. The narrowest escape. <laughs> It felt like the moment the silk sleigh crossed some invisible barrier and the ghosts began to dissolve. That's how he described not becoming a monk. Mm. You make out with one girl in your dreams for three nights and all of a sudden you realize you do not want that celibate life. (laughs) And another mercy was like his compassion for Thion back in the day, like giving Mm. him miracles for breakfast. And that was an act of mercy on his part, right? He could have just not done anything. Yeah, and it gave Thion the tools to not be at the mercy of his father's. Mm. Like it gave him more. Yeah, it gave Thion more power and I think that also him taking that from Laszlo it wasn't really a mercy because it was a theft of Laszlo's dream but like the fact that Laszlo had all of this knowledge about Weep is what enabled Thion to escape Mm. so if we're looking at it as like unjust leniency it did release Thion from a really terrible existence where yes he had all of the like things he could want but he was basically isolated and making gold for a queen who didn't care Mm. about anything but wealth and that was very merciful of Laszlo to just have created this stuff in order to surrender it basically whether he intended to or not I love that Thion thinks it's a mercy that he wakes Laszlo up from all these moths he's like oh it's an infestation in here like I'm being so helpful Laszlo's like they're my friends leave me alone I love them oh dear I know Mm. yeah 
That whole scene, I just feel so frustrated that they don't get the time together. Yeah, especially with what comes next. Yeah, well, and Sarai was talking about it in terms of, like, she wanted to wake up holding hands. That's what she said. What I really love and have always loved is, like, that domestic comfort. Mm. Knowing that you're coming home to someone and you get to wear pajamas around them. You can be, like, the goblin that you really are. (laughs) And they still love you and you still love them. Like, that's what I am here for. So I Mm. love that she's already thinking past this is extraordinary and amazing too I just want all of this and I want Mm. to wake up holding hands so wholesome it is is the best um you know where else I thought there was mercy Mm. it was in Laszlo remaking Rasselas in this image yes oh I loved that because he's turning this nightmare creature into something better for weep because Mm. that is a mercy for everyone who suffered under this creature and for Sarai who was also tormented by this thing yeah and even a mercy for Rasselas as well even though it's not an alive thing but you know well I mean there's a lot of discussion about like being portrayed as monstrous does make you feel othered and monstrous so I mean Mm. I don't think that the Mazarthium has feelings it's not a thing but it definitely reacts to people who can wield it I just love the description around that. It's on page 458. Sarai remarks that Scathus might have been an artist, but he'd been a vile one. And Strange the Dreamer was an artist too. And he was the antidote to vile. I have a point about that. I actually wanted to ask you a question. Do you think that Scathus was also a dreamer? Hmm, interesting. There's a lot of similarities. And I mean, spoiler alert, we do know that Laszlo is Scathus' son. But I just wonder if you if you think that maybe Scathus also had dreams and like maybe something happened to make him cry or maybe he just was I like I don't know I don't know I don't feel like he would have had a dreaming power I don't mm. know why it just seems too pure for a thing for him to have had power over I think but then Sarai is the muse of nightmares right it's what yeah. you do with the power that you have like Laszlo turning Rasselas into something beautiful and elegant and mm. Scath is having turned it into this like horrible carrion headed beast we see that with Minya as well right like she mm. chooses to use her powers for terrible things and she tries to make the others do that as well like saying to Ruby you, you could burn someone up. I don't know. I don't want him to have dreaming powers because I want Laszlo to be unique in that way. I guess I wonder about the lore. I do love magic and I do love magical worlds. Maybe they all had a little bit of dream power. Mm, in this section, Laszlo's coming to terms with his identity and he's beginning to realize that he's probably not entirely mm. human, right? Like he starts to have a memory of the white bird carrying him. Mm. And he remembers what the monk told him when he was bound was that he was gray as rain, never cried, came good in time. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've lost it. I've lost my thread. I had a good point there. I did. I feel like it's kind of <laughs> it's going into this kind of idea of the, it's the nature versus nurture debate almost, mm, right? It's, yes. Thank you. That's where. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> yes. where I felt like you were going. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> like you know you have Minya who is so shaped by the carnage and they share a parent. Mm. But then you have Laszlo, who was basically raised by himself and his own wishes for something else. And the same with Sarai, right? She could make dreams beautiful. She could make dreams terrible. And it's interesting because, you know, so often with the nature versus nurture thing, it'll be like, well, you know, they have lo- loving parents, so would they turn out the same way? But neither Laszlo nor Minya had loving parents. They both sort of had no one. Like, Laszlo was an mm. orphan. It's quite a sad childhood, really. Like, he made the most of it with his fairy tales and things like that. I wonder if, you know, the citizens of Weep don't want to think about that because if they can believe that it is a thing that these monsters, in inverted commas, could Mm. be loving and caring and wonderful like Laszlo is, then it makes what they did so much worse, you know? So Yeah, there's mercy in the hatred that they carry in that they don't have to think about the effects of it on people. Yeah, exactly. If you don't think of someone else as a human being, then you can do terrible things to them. Which is the whole problem 
problem with everything all of the time. Correct. Othering people. It's not a good time. Everyone is people. Be nice. It's not that hard. The thing I tell my kids is that we have to always treat everybody with respect and kindness and assume that they're doing their best. People pick up on what you expect of them and respond to it. I think Laszlo is much better at this. Thion is always looking for the trick. He's always looking for the catch. He's a Slytherin. He's but also, for the double cross. Yeah, but also he's a child of abuse. Like, that's very much a, I don't trust you. I can't mm. trust you. Other people aren't to be trusted. I can trust myself. That's the only thing you can trust is yourself, right? Mm-hmm. That's the approach he has. Yeah. And not even that. Like, he's like, I will trust the scientific process. And even now that's betraying him. He's just outraged. I love that he has to get so exhausted and so, like, depleted that he's able to accept a non- linear option as truth do you know what i mean like he has Mm. to be like right on the edge of delirium in order to be like yeah that's possible you know what i noticed in this section is that sarai remarks that errol fane is actually asleep like he is asleep and weep that felt like a mercy and i'm glad he's with azarine even though they're not like cuddled up together still a door between them (sighs) i look i just think that azarine deserves the world i agree um did have some more things about Mercy. I kind of love that Sparrow and Ruby's entire conversation. Like, I love the understanding of it. And I love that they become better sisters and better friends because of it. But I also mm. love that it was just she had to throw one plum at her sister and then she was fine. <laughs> one plum rage. So good. Because mm. sometimes you just have to do like one tiny punitive thing. And then you're like, okay. Yeah. I love that kind of, it was an exchanging of knowledge as well. You know, Ruby comes to Sarai, uh, to Sparrow, sorry, and she's like, I didn't know that you fancied him, basically. And if I had, yeah. then it, maybe I wouldn't have acted the way that I did. And she's like, you can still have him if you want him. And Sparrow comes back being like, I don't want him. No, thanks. Yeah. And I, I love that Ruby then went, oh, maybe I don't want him either then, if that yeah. is how easy it is. I, I mean, there's no possibility of different. She was right about that. But also, she also wanted someone who only wanted her. No, I'm like, good for you. You know your worth, Sparrow. That's how it should be. You should be with people who want you. Not yeah. just anyone, but want you. Don't just see you as an option. To be fair to Feral, Ruby also just wanted Feral because he was there. So it was never yeah. a, like a big thing. You know what? It's kind of like an arranged marriage mm. where like the affection is growing between them once it's formalized. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's only, yeah. It's, it's the intimacy is created because of the union, not before. Yeah. Um, do you think if Thion had been less jealous with his knowledge, like, do you think if there had been more sharing of the resources between all of the people, if it hadn't been a competition for a prize, but specifically if Thion had said, look, it's only working because of Laszlo, do you think Drave would have still tried to blow up the anchor? I was thinking about this because I think Drave also tries to blow up the anchor because he overheard other people talking about there being a mechanism or something on the inside mm. of it. So he wants to blow it up to get onto the inside. And I don't think there's anything in there. It's just a solid hunk of metal, right? Yeah. And maybe if it wasn't everyone kind of hoarding their information, everyone with their own little bits of expertise, if they were more collaborative, then perhaps we would have had a different result. I think it's interesting that Thion doesn't share his knowledge and he is so secretive. And part of that is because he's trying to protect his own kind of secret, right? His secret to success. But it's also protective of Laszlo. I don't know if he's conscious about that, but he knows that Laszlo is an other yeah. And he doesn't want to expose him. It's just his second nature. Well, it's his first nature to be secretive, to keep mm. things locked up. I also know that Laszlo has clocked it from day one. When Dion turns up in his room and is like, who else knows about this book? And he's like, no one. And, you know, Laszlo is extremely conscious that he could be killed by Thion in that mm. moment and that it would just be hushed up. And so he makes him do that triple promise. But I think the promises worked both ways. 
Yeah, I think so as well. It's so interesting that he had that initial thought that he thought Thion was going to kill him. And like when we first meet him, he's wearing that sword and everything. Mm. And then in this section, you know, he flinches back from Thion and Thion says, I'm not going to kill you, Strange. And I just think it's so interesting that he went back to this kind of like judgment of Thion as dangerous. Because I don't really read Thion as dangerous. No, he's a dandy. Yeah, I don't read him as someone (laughs) who's going to like try and kill you. He's a very fussy, fastidious drama queen. I just, I think it's so interesting that Thion just wants to share his knowledge with Laszlo and get Laszlo to understand. Like he takes mm. him on this whole journey being like, this is how it works. It's a key that unlocks everything, but not this. So what are you? He doesn't flinch away from him. Like if I found out someone I kind of know is potentially an alien, I don't know if I would be like going up to them being like, hello, let's talk about this. Sion just turns up and is like, answers now, please. I need it for my research. It's actually incredible. He doesn't really treat Laszlo as differently. He just wants to understand. And I think mm. that props to Thion. I really like that. You are going to love the next book there's more thion in it he just fascinates me because on page 466 he says you know that hapless look those innocent eyes he spoke bitterly yesterday you always had me convinced that you helped me because i needed it like i just love that i love that he's immediately gone to oh he's trying to trick me he's immediately just gone i knew i knew that he couldn't just help me he's already suspicious he's so scathing the contempt he has for himself he has a real lack of mercy for himself and that's Mm. why he's so angry angry about it because he feels like he's been duped despite knowing better right but actually he hasn't and that's why he walks it back and is able to kind of like okay I'll tell you why when he realizes that actually Laszlo doesn't know what he's talking about and he he isn't hiding anything and he says on page 467 it was the same feeling of disfaith he'd experienced at the anchor of disbelief crashing against evidence Mm. because he's already made a decision and then he's presented with evidence in front of him and these two things do not line up with each other and Thion's brain right now is just like does not compute does not (laughs) compute he's just a 404 the whole time yeah and then he has another mystery because, of course, Laszlo's fingertips end up in the Misathium shred that he takes home. I want to talk a little bit about the dream when, during the explosion, Sarai is, she's trying to find Laszlo. And when she finds him, she goes to check that he's alive and she falls into this dream and he's in the orchard and he's trying to continue the search mentally mm. for what he was doing in the physical world. So in the physical world, he was going to the anchor because mm-hmm. he just needed, like, he just needed to go to the anchor. He knew that that was the next step. In the dream, he's digging in the orchard trying to find his name, the truth, and what he uncovers is a white feather from mm. the white bird, the wraith. And I just love it because he's actually putting it together even though he's not conscious. Yeah, his brain doesn't stop working, hey? Yeah, like the knowledge is there, even if he doesn't have it articulated, the knowledge is there. It's a suppressed memory, a suppressed emotion. Well, and it explains why he was always so tied to the fate of Weep, right? Like mm-hmm. he is of Weep. He is a citizen of Weep, like whoever his mother is. His father was a god but his mother was one of those women. Mm. Something really magical about him looking for that in his mind and his dreams still seeking out knowledge, still putting the story together. And Sarai doesn't understand because she hasn't been privileged to this conversation that he's had with Thion. She doesn't understand what they were saying. Yeah. When he says, you know, I'm looking for my name, she's like oh no, maybe he's hit his head a little bit too hard. And she's like, no, it'll be fine. Of course it's fine. I love that where she said the last thing she wanted to do was push him out Mm. to a place she could not follow. That one really resonated with me. I thought that was mercy, actually, from Sarai. Yeah. It was an act of mercy for her to push him out the door and be like, you have to wake up now. Mm. I mean, he's probably got a concussion, so he should see someone about that. I'm a bit concerned about all the bleeding from his ears as well. Yeah. I feel like the Mazartham heritage will protect him in that way. He Mm. seems to get his hearing back quite quickly for someone who is, like, literally deafened by an explosion. And I don't think they ever got sick, do they? Like, Sarai never got sick. No one ever got sick. that's true. That's true. 
And long lived. If the original gods were there for 200 years. Mm, true, actually. Mm. Immortal, perhaps. Trying to find the mercy in it, I found very hard. Knowledge was much easier. Well, yeah, and I think there was a lot of knowledge being, like, knowledge of self being challenged, right? Laszlo's knowledge of himself. I feel like Thion really reclaimed his identity in this as well. Like, he Mm. has that whole thing on page 468 where he says, I'm not some gold maker to spend my days filling a queen's coin purse. I am unlocking the mysteries of the world one by one. And I haven't come across a lock, so to speak, that my key will not fit. The world is my house and I am its master. And I just love that. Okay, part of me, it reminded me a little bit of Loki in the first Avengers movie movie when he's like, mm-hmm. I am g- burdened with a glorious purpose. So it's a little <laughs> bit evil mastermind there yeah. from Thion. But I love that he's reclaiming his identity and this distance from yeah. his father and this distance from this really claustrophobic environment that he grew up in, where he can go, no, this is actually my life's work. Yeah. And I love that Laszlo's like, you're welcome. Uh, awkward silence time. <laughs> I better say something. <laughs> because, of course, it is Laszlo's interference that allows Thion to go on this journey. And I think he is the right person to do it, because Laszlo's not really interested in that sort of myth. Yeah, unlocking. as you said, that's not his story. It's so obviously Thion's. Yeah, and I just love that. I love that they have these kind of, they're on parallel paths. They've orbited around each other for what they know for so much of their like formative years that it's always going to be part of their identity. I just really want them to be friends. It's just where I I'm know. at right now. I'm like, you guys, please. You are so cute together. And look, I think that if Laszlo had ever been offered friendship, he 100% would have been fine with it. Like, it just didn't occur to him that it was a possibility because of the social structuring in Zosma. And of course, Thion can't be vulnerable. That's against the rules. When you're vulnerable, you can be hurt. And he's already subjected to his father's whimsy and his aunt's demands. I want Thion to be able to trust someone and like like someone and be comfortable being vulnerable. Um, And I want Laszlo to just keep teasing him. Like, I know, I love their friends. That's what you want. You want someone who will get right past the small talk and tease you a little bit so you can tease them back. And then you're like, okay, we're friends now. It's on. (laughs) It's allowed. Yeah. Not wondering if the ice is thin or like how do I approach this but just to kind of dive in and like feel it out as you go yeah can we talk about the dream for like a minute of course it's on page 461 and they're talking about the kiss this kiss was reverent it was a promise and they trailed fire like a comet as they made it stick a fork in me I'm done (laughs) oh I love on the the page before that on page 460 as well you know he talks about all of this is ours even infinity and then he turned it he turned Mm. gravity because he could I love that image of him just being like yeah I'm gonna flip the world over and then Sarai taking control of that dream and being like actually no what I want you know what what she wanted most in that moment wasn't the sky it was the world and broken things I just love that so much Mm. I love it too I'm mad about the fact that he's like it's okay I will hold her flesh and body and spirit and like we already know because the prologue literally talks about Sarai having died like I am angry about this and I am angry that it's about to happen next week's not gonna be okay Jen it's not gonna be okay yeah it's such a depth of feeling because on page 463 when Leslo wakes up and he can't quite figure out what has happened and he's you know he says every feeling and with the sense that they'd been stripped down to their essence revealed for the first time in all their unspeakable beauty their unbearable fragility I feel like he's capable of feeling these things, though, just because he is Strange the Dreamer. Like, yeah. Thion would not be capable of this amount of descriptive feeling. Oh, um, so, yeah, I think that's about all I have to say for mercy and knowledge. I mean, this was because we're approaching the real crisis and the conclusion of the novel. It's like, I feel like I'm just waiting here for the awfulness to happen. I know. I can't believe that this is our second to last 
recording with this book. It's just, even though, you know, we're 480 odd pages in, it feels almost too soon. Uh, Yeah, I understand. I can't wait to read Muse of Nightmares and like just blitz through it with you and do all of the like texting feels that we're going to do. And I think it's because, yeah, it's because it's a duology, right? So there is no conclusion. We're just Mm. reading towards the middle of a story and therefore it feels weird to stop recording. It's, um... I was going to say, I find it so interesting because obviously we're publishing our first season at the moment. So mm. all those Scorpio races feels and how we weren't ready to leave Thisbee. And then when we read Neverwhere, we were kind of halfway through the book. We were both quite ready for it to just be like, okay, yeah, let's, let's just get through this. But then, it, you know, it comes good at the end. And so this one is an interesting experience where I'm like, I don't want it to end, but it's also going to end because the story's not going to end. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But we will still get the benefit of like being able to read the sequel ourselves even if we're leaving everyone else hanging yeah I think it's great like it's I think it's an important lesson to learn as well and an important way to to learn how to read Mm. because when you read series that aren't finished you know you can still get meaning from those books which is something that I certainly need to learn and so I don't freak out when the next book isn't immediately available I love that I love that you're trying it's like that's a that's a big step for you because I know you like to read a series when it's done because I did recommend the Scholomance to you didn't I Naomi Novik's mm. Scholomance and then I said oh but the next one's coming out and it's like a two-part a deadly education that's the one um and so I think like I recommended you should read it because I think you'd really love it and I think you'd really love Elle the main character but also you can just wait until they're both out <laughs> read them together you don't have to sit here wondering what her mother's cryptic message in the end actually means holy moly <gasps> <laughs> The real reluctance I have about reading unfinished series is not so much, like, yes, I like to know what happens and I don't like waiting for a conclusion and things like streaming has really ruined me for that as well. Like, Mm. the idea of having to wait for a series conclusion baffles me now, (laughs) even though that's how I grew up. But it's also the risk that they won't finish a series when they say they will. So I've been burnt before with authors who be like, oh, yeah, this is going to be a seven-part series and then you're 15 books in and absolutely outrageous. I've heard this claim leveled at... Tamora, is it Tamora Pierce or is it Isabel Carmody? Oh. Uh, ja, our friend Ja was telling me, like, just avoid this author because she never wraps anything up. And I was like, oh, it's good to know. The Dresden, <laughs> the Dresden Files is another one of those. Like, mm. I really enjoyed the first couple of Dresden File books. And then, you know, I just kept going and going and going. I'm like, where is the conclusion? And of course, the ultimate betrayer, Georgia Armand. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why I haven't even started the books because I like my introduction to fantasy was the Wheel of Time series. Well, nah, yep. So Robert I Jordan. Say. I was ten years old the first time I picked up a Robert Jordan book, and I have never managed to get past the tenth book because there are like fifteen now, and he died before I could finish it. Brandon Sanderson had to finish it, so I was like, "What? No, yeah, no, unsubscribe." Anyway, exactly. Um. Did you have some in-depth marginalia for us this week? Um, yes, I do. So I, my in-depth marginalia comes from page 458, and I mentioned it before, but I wanted to touch on it again. I'm very fascinated by Scathis, so um, mm-hmm. like I really love knowing the motivations for people, evil people yeah. especially. Um, these gods are so other that whenever they're mentioned, I'm like, I want to know why they are the way they are. Uh, So page 458. Scathis might have been an artist, but he'd been a vile one. Strange the Dreamer was an artist too, but he was the antidote to vile. And this is in the dream where they set down on the anchor and Lazarus remakes Rasselas for Sarai. And Rasselas is beautiful. 
I think it's a bit of a mercy. As you said, I agree that it's a mercy to change something from something horrible to something beautiful because Sarai's nightmares that she wielded were often rassilous. Like that was her go-to. But it's something mm-hmm. that she was terrified of as well when she started to have her own nightmares. So my thought was that this is about transformation and it's about turning ugliness into something really beautiful. And there's a quote in the group of quilters that I know where we joke that if you have a piece of fabric that's still ugly, you haven't cut it small enough. And that's from Mm -hmm. Bonnie K. Hunter, who's an actual quilter, who's like a real scrappy quilter. I love the idea that you can deconstruct something and make it small enough and dismantle it and turn it into pieces so that it can become something beautiful, that it can be remade. And um, I just was thinking about how this works with trauma. Like when we're upset, like we can either perpetuate the hurt and we can continue like the poisonous behaviors that were acting on us, or we can decide to change it, transform Mm -hmm. it, become better, be better, do better, and create a better world for like the people around us. And I think there's something really special about taking the things that have hurt us and the nightmares and making them into something like useful or beautiful. Sometimes just even acknowledging that they existed, but then moving on, that's a kind of transformation too. Mm, So yeah, my commitment is to find the joy in things and to remake the ugly stuff into either something useful or beautiful and to be the antidote as much as I can be. That's amazing. I love that. It's such a great aim. Thanks. Mm. So how about you? Do you have any marginalia? I do. So my marginalia is on page 465 and it is when Laszlo has been woken up by Thion being super nosy and he is super, super angry. Mm. And Thion remarks he'd never seen him angry before, let alone wrathful, and it made him seem bigger somehow, an altogether different and more dangerous species of strange than the one he had known all these years. Mm. So for me, this really brought to this theme of knowledge more than anything, because it's changing Thion's perception of Laszlo. It changes what he thinks he knows about Laszlo, and in a way it puts Laszlo in a position where he might need to be merciful towards Thion, yeah. right? Like, Thion is suddenly in less power, and it's a way that he didn't expect it to be. And that reminded me of when Hermione punches Draco and the prisoner of Azkaban because Draco is so used to pushing her around and he expects a certain reaction from her and then he gets this wild unpredictable result that completely throws him off that's Hermione became a ship oh dear (laughs) to each their own yeah everyone on their own barge (laughs) off you go Um, actually like it reminded me of my own life in a way that I was being pushed around in a job And I'd been really pushed to the edge again and again and again. And one day my manager just pushed me too far. Now, I have a short temper anyway, but I'm usually able to keep quite a tight leash on it professionally. But it was just us in this meeting room and I had, like, I was at breaking point and I just snapped. And it was this kind of seething rage that poured from me in an absolute kind of ice cold response. Like that way when you say something and you can hear the danger in someone's voice, you Mm. know, when it's just like cutting and cold. And I could see the shock in his eyes, like in the moment, like it was like little widening of his eyes when it happened. And I I just went from this knowable quantity to something, you know, a dangerous species of gen, something that he didn't understand. Mm. Like, I just flipped. And I'm not ashamed of that reaction because I will only be pushed so far. And there's a part of me that actually likes knowing that I have the power to instill that reaction. There's a part of me that really is quite into that, which (laughs) is, I guess, the Slytherin part of me. And I think there's power power in that as well and so what I want to take from this going forward is to not misuse that power like Laszlo was so good in the follow-up to this where he just pulls back his anger but also don't underestimate other people don't always think that you know how they're going to react don't just anticipate but treat people as whole unknowable quantities yeah 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 I love that also I'm glad you've never been that mad at me I think I would be quite scared yeah it actually takes me quite like I do have a short temper but it takes me quite a lot to get there I'm good at holding it back but when I snap 
Like, I've warned them at work about this before. I'm like, okay, just so you know, (laughs) one day you're going to push me too far. Beware the wrath of the patient man, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's me too. Like, maybe I just spent it all in my youth. Or maybe we've just learned to, like, hold it for when it's really important. Yeah. Hold it until you need it. Yeah. Well, who do you want to spotlight this week? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Uh, It'll come as a massive shock to you that I'm going to spotlight Thion again. (gasps) No. I just love him. I just love him in this section so much. I love that he has a question he can't answer, so he goes straight to Laszlo. Mm. He can't even wait until morning. He just has to do it right away. Dogged in his pursuit. I know, and he doesn't scheme or plot. He's not interested in any of that. He just goes straight to the source of his issue, and he kind of confronts him. And is he a bit misguided? Yes. But I'm really here for that direct course of action and just facing up to the things that bother you. Like, Mm. power to those people who are not conflict-averse. You know, just go in there, get your answers, get out. Good job, Thion. It's amazingly scary to, to do, yeah. 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 Awesome. How about you? Uh, yeah. Uh, so big shock here, probably. I <laughs> want to put the spotlight on Laszlo because he's Yay. struggling with his identity, mm, which bliss. is not something I really think about for myself. So I've been trying to notice it in fiction to see if there's like any parallels. And I really think that he's trying to come to grips with being nobody, but now possibly being nobody who's also from another world. Mm. Like, I think we all have that moment as kids when we find someone or something we identify with and we're like oh that's why I felt so different and alienated mm. no it's just normal human nature we all feel othered from time to time and we all lack community and like I think that's a normal human experience for everybody and then when we find that acceptance it's like yee we're finally we finally found it we found our friends or we found our group yeah. or we're understood or we're listened to or we're heard you know he's actually having to deal with this on top of trying to save a girl he's just met and fallen deeply in love with and readjusting his perceptions of a man he thought was a hero who's much more complex and not as godlike as he thought and it's just it's hard Mm. so I really appreciate that he's just trying he's just trying and he's being so gentle with it and he's just really loving the heck out of everybody while he's still undergoing this massive crisis yeah he's doing it so well like he's got such depth right and such capacity to just Mm. process so many different things it's amazing he's the best they're all the best Mm. they really are well next week we'll be reading chapters 63 to 67 through the theme of wonder and it's the end of course it is the end yeah it's gonna gonna be be a lot it's gonna be a lot Jen, thank you for potting with me today. It sufficiently took my mind off of hospital disaster husband. Well, I'm glad that I could distract you. Thank you so much for making the time, as always. <laughs> Thanks for being okay with our um, interlopers. <laughs> <laughs> They're very cute. I'll allow it. They're pretty wild out there. I'm scared to look at the state of the house, but that's fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> well, I will speak to you next week. Yeah, see you next week. Have a good afternoon. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.